Hello and welcome to Planet Critical, the podcast for a world in crisis. My name is Rachel Donald. I'm a climate corruption journalist and your host. Every week I interview experts who are battling to save our planet. My guests are scientists, politicians, academics, journalists and activists. They explain the complexities of the energy, economic, ecological and political crises that we face today, revealing what's really going on and what they think needs to be done. This is a critical time for our planet. It demands critical thinking. Go to planetcritical.com to learn more and subscribe. I have such an amazing episode for you all today. Uh, this week I spoke with Susan Krumdike, who is a mechanical engineer, uh, professor at Harriet Watt University and chair of the energy transition at the university. Susan joined me to explain transition engineering, uh, which is also the title of her book. Uh, essentially how a sustainable future is absolutely possible how we need to start from an engineering perspective and how starting from an engineering perspective, i.e. using what we have more efficiently, being realistic about it, just building better essentially, um, and ripping ourselves away from the dependence on fossil fuels will actually create a better world. And through that, we'll kind of, you know, Trojan horse in degrowth and contracting our energy demands and our economy and all of these things how we will be able to create a better world for ourselves, for the species that we share it with, for, you know, the ecosystem, biodiversity itself. And that can all be done through the lens of engineering. The engineers have to learn how to respond to the crisis by taking a long-term vision and forget your politics and your economics, uh, which only work in sort of the short term. Now, she also says, you can't actually completely forget your politics and economics um, because obviously there are powers at play that sort of have created the world that we live in today and make it very, very difficult to even think about a transition. And therefore, part of the work that she does is also examining narrative. How do we change the story here? How do we tell a better story to get people on board? This was such a fun conversation. I can't even tell you. I can't wait for you all to listen. I just loved speaking with Susan and have come away with such a feeling of like, hope and determination. Make sure you all get a copy of her book, Transition Engineering. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your community. And if you're loving the show, join the Planet Critical community by choosing a paid subscription at planetcritical.com. And a huge thank you to the Planet Critical community who keep this project going. Susan, thank you very much for joining me on Planet Critical. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Great to be here. <laughs> thank you. Um, so tell me, you are a mechanical engineer by training. At what point in your research at the beginning did you become interested in the question of sustainability? Oh, when I uh, was in high school, um, you know, I... we had the big problems of, of pollution and climate change and all that good stuff back in the 80s. So um, I went into mechanical engineering because um, that's where the energy, the um, you know, transport, the emissions, all, all the stuff that needed to change where that was. And so I wanted to mm. be in sustainable energy. Yeah. <laughs> and actually on that, what did sustainable energy look like then? Well, you know, I can share with the young folks <laughs> back in the 80s. <laughs> it was pretty clear we were going to switch to renewables and alternatives. Right. And... um we just had to do the work of making them more affordable. Mm -hmm. And then we could switch. 
And so I think that has gotten done. I, I spent um, the 80s in research in wind and solar and um, building energy efficiency. There was a lot of efficiency gains that, that were um, easy to make back in the 80s because there weren't really good standards before. Mm. Um, so there was, there was a lot of work that could be done. And um, then uh, the switching still didn't happen. And now, yeah, here we are. So it, the story's more or less the same, um, except now instead of calling the problem global warming, we're calling it climate change. Right. Okay. Understood. And how has the, uh, you know, technology and engineering advanced? I would assume that batteries have become better over the past few decades. Uh, what other problems were you guys facing in the 80s that have kind of been solved now? Well, what's funny is in the 80s, the uh, level of emissions was it, uh, maybe a fourth what it is now. So mm. we weren't facing the the giant urgent right now you have to change what you are doing problem that we have now mm. um there was this uh you know forward-looking statement of well if we just improve things then then they'll go the way that we that we want um and you know the the problems we're facing there's always really fun technical problems there's materials there's um uh, system design, manufacturing. Um, and so it, it isn't just sort of an amorphous, well, batteries needed to get better. Batteries are what they are and you can always make them better, but, but there's only, there's still a battery, right? There's mm. still, um, what they are. So a, you know, 300% improvement, um, go back and, and look at some images from the eighties of what a transportable phone looked like <laughs> <laughs> you could indeed carry them around and there's there's maybe some uh television shows where a guy looks really cool because he's carrying just yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know a battery is still a battery you still got it in your little device and it's still good bad mm -hmm. and um yeah so yeah so the problems um i think were just technical then because our narrative was that that if we overcame the technical problems um then we'd get there so people were working on electric cars and on hydrogen and stuff like that um but from the engineering point of view you can tell when when that getting better 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 cheaper is going to mean that you can substitute and when it means that you can't and so okay. the the wind turbines were were really not very good in the eighties. They would they would fly apart quite readily. Uh, solar <laughs> panels, you know, the efficiency was almost nothing. It cost us an arm and a leg. And so yeah, things have gotten better, but now the the narrative has to change, and that's a way bigger challenge because that substitution thing um, isn't isn't really playing out anymore. The, the use of fossil fuels has just continued to grow exponentially. And so even the idea that you could substitute renewables and alternatives for those fossil fuels, it doesn't, you can't make it any better and actually do that. It's just, it's not possible. You have to, you have to turn down the fossil fuel. So that is the new big challenge. Turning down the fossil fuels. Now, does that mean degrowth, like contracting our energy demands? All right. I, th I think I've said the word narrative a couple times. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I've really come to appreciate as an engineer how completely important narrative is. I think mm -hmm. in the engineering world, we, we'll, we'll say, okay, what do you want, right? What has to happen? Uh, what's the need here? And, and we turn narratives into requirements. Okay. Um, but that where that sits of what we think we're going to get, what, what we think we need, what, what we think we're entitled to, that, that narrative is driving um, things in ways that maybe the reality doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. So when we hear words like uh, degrowth, you know, I don't know. I just know that it is possible to have cities that have about 10% of the current cars and they work way better. <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. I know that it's possible to have houses that use maybe only 5% of a standard house and they're more comfortable, right? So, so I, I know that doing things the right way that also turns down the need for materials and for, for fossil fuels, which is what must happen, um, is just a project. Now, whether you call that degrowth, that's your theory. Yeah. I don't know. What I know is that the fossil fuels get turned down and many other things start to flourish. The fossil fuels are really damping out an awful lot of creativity, an awful lot of craft, an awful lot of, um, of really good work. Because, of course, you can ship good jobs off to another country. You know, the, just if we, mm. if we take a good look at our history, we can really um, start to see that, that um, wh why we used fossil fuels like crazy, because they're the best fuel ever. But maybe mm. like crazy was a bit much. <laughs> maybe just for important things would be enough. And it is, actually. <laughs> this, this is a very interesting um perspective actually it kind of uh, flips i think a lot of the the degrowth narrative which is you know we need to contract our energy demands and we need to contract our economy and all of this stuff because we're going off of a cliff whereas what you're saying is like well that could all be a byproduct of introducing these different um capacities and technologies that we have to improve efficiency to uh improve the kind of materials that we're using and to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels um i think that the the time for weaning is over. Sure. The, the yeah. infancy is it's yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, it, you know, the um, the way people are using degrowth is in kind of a um, a confrontational, forced mm. situation context. I think, like mm -hmm. I said, we're we're really trying to find our narrative here. Um, yeah. I kind of like turn down better because that's what mm -hmm. actually will happen is that the production system is a beast. I don't know if you know the size of these things, right? Um, and the whole system itself and, and how it's grown organically. So to figure out how to turn it down, that yeah. is a massive engineering project right there. Um, as the fuel supply is being turned down, then the economy as we know it shift, we'll shift. you say the perspective just flips mm. um and that's fine because there's always economy and an economy is just people figuring out how to how to make things work in the context that you've got of course there's mm. really big risks right now because of our uh, well maybe even because of this overshoot in use of energy we've mm. lost an awful lot of civics and an awful lot of um community and stuff 
But think yeah. about it. Aren't there opportunities in new kinds of businesses to to grow those things and you mm. to you know generate value from them? Um, so I I don't <laughs> I think I've heard people say regeneration, um, mm-hmm. and and that seems a little bit closer. I mean, I think in hindsight, in history, when you step back and you look at this time period, there will definitely be some things that you could call them degrowth if you want. They're, they're, they're you know these turndowns, um, but um, uh, but but I think you'll see just a, a shift and and a you know a new phase. Yeah. Let, let's go through maybe some of the myths um, of transition in the narrative. So a big one is that, you know, we will never be able to produce the amount of energy that we currently have with fossil fuels, with, with renewables. Like our energy demands are going to have to contract. But what you're saying is like, well, but also we'll be using technology that is just far more efficient. Well, that, that's not really good. It's a kind of non sequitur problem. Um, right. Okay. Be really careful what yeah. the framing of the question is, right? Okay. Because, um, you, you have to look at history. So that's, that's actually step one of the transition engineering method is that mm-hmm. we, we recognize that, um, as humans, we're hardwired to look at the here and now first and in a really big way, really, really mm-hmm. tight view. Keep it right here. <laughs> um, but there's an awful lot of built-in assumptions that have come with this really tight view. And so sure. all of our assumptions about what we need and how we do things, um, that's, that's because of how we got here. Yeah. So if you Paradigm. imagine a new country is, is discovered and it doesn't have any native peoples in it, um, and so we can go there and we can set up our society how we like. <laughs> if we said, okay, we're going to use only renewables, go for it. You yeah. still get all the technology knowledge that you have and, and, you know, we can trade with other partners, but, but you're going to just use renewables. Mm-hmm. You would get a totally different design than if you said, okay, and we can import whatever fossil fuels you want and you can build your society. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of rethink is what's required and it has to be done based on best engineering. Like, like you, you want it to work, correct? <laughs> Um, so if you ask me to try to build you a fossil fueled world with renewables, I'll, yeah. I'll say, well, is, is that research funding? And do I actually have to do it Can I <laughs> on some things <laughs> that's where, where researchers are at right now? They know very well that that's not possible, but mm. that's what the research funding is for is for this funny story. So we mm. just keep doing that. Um, there might've been a time in the eighties when, when we thought that that, that was a thing we could do, but remember what was right. the fossil fuel use in the time that was way lower. <laughs> yeah. 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 So no, our current use of fossil fuel is not substitutable by renewables is our current, um, population and a better well-being for everyone possible with just renewables. Um, well, that's what 2111 looks like. So, sure. <laughs> what, what do you mean? That's what 2111 looks like? Well, in, like the future, that's what we're hoping. Yeah, for? well, we can we can sort of be in the teenager phase now and get really upset about our privilege be, privileges being taken away mm-hmm. <laughs> and having. <laughs> but <laughs> when we look to to maturity, um, yeah. the fossil fuels will have been turned down and. Yeah. 
society will be being run and meeting people's needs on renewable energy. And so that will be what it is. And, uh, you know, it can only be what's realistic. So, okay. so that's what I'm saying is that, uh, uh, so that's step four in transition engineering is to yeah. look a hundred years in the future yeah. uh, with really realistic view. Um, yeah. And that gives you a really, that, that's such an anchor point. Because <laughs> our, <laughs> our funny little right now view of what I'm, I want to do tomorrow and, you know, what I want to get back to and, and that sort yeah. of thing. You know, the people in 2121, they just really don't care very much. <laughs> I want to, I really want to get into this um, vision of what a renewable world would look like um, and talk more about the, the, the engineering and the technologies around that. But before that, let's just keep cracking away at some of these um, myths, quote unquote. Uh, so Alice Friedemann calls renewables rebuildables because she says it's kind of a, a fallacy to call them renewables because you know the amount of energy that is required for a wind turbine farm or for solar panels and they do need to be rebuilt every 10 years or 20 years or whatever and we need she says you know we need fossil fuels for that and even on a materials level like to you know pull stuff out of the earth's crust or you know lithium for batteries and all this kind of stuff like there is there a does a renewable world still require the use of fossil fuels to create and to run? <laughs> there again. <laughs> um, obviously, yes. She's not wrong. Um, so here the narrative is starting to break down a little. And okay. the reason it is, is because we're thinking of it as one or the other. Right. So right. this is where um, the ability to to design and, and and adjust starts to break down. If you if you think that the fossil fuels um, goes to zero. Mm. So um, it probably doesn't. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of coal. <laughs> um, and so the 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 thing that's going to push oil and gas down first is is, you know, they're they're way more um, effectively finite than coal is okay yeah. um and so we run out of stupid uses for them faster okay but the important uses especially in materials processing um you know you, you can't have solar panels without coal sorry babe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually a thing you can't do it <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, but but that that idea that that to have renewable electricity is actually a materials consumption problem is true with mm -hmm. current designs. Um, and so really figuring out what is what do we actually need, man, this is mm. this is the thing we've lost the ability to to consider. Mm. I think my grandparents definitely had it. They'd been through the depression. They understood the difference between essential and optional. They really yeah. did. And that is that adolescent phase where you learn that. You learn that yeah. it isn't just about what you want right now, that there's bigger questions and, and, and other people you have to think about, right? So yeah. we sort of have to relearn that because I'm pretty sure that, that, that people were better at it before, um, okay. before we got so bloated on easy energy. Spoiled. Yeah. Goods, energy, anything you want right yeah. now, Uber, you know, yeah. Amazon, I want it right now. That's who? That's that's just so thirteen-ish. You know? <laughs> My goodness, go walk around the market. 
actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. So making sure that we know what question we're actually asking. Um, mm. And the, is there, can we, con okay, can we even conceive of renewables at the scale that we are now, which is, mm. uh, you know, and to be honest, we're, the, the huge amount of renewables uptake now is still a tiny weeny dent yeah. in the total energy. So let's, let's keep looking at real data. Let's keep reminding ourselves of the stories yeah. we're telling ourselves and just how yeah. accurate they are. Um, so the idea that, that that could blow up to where the renewables could, could overtake the fossil fuels um, is nuts. What can happen is that the fossil fuels can shrink down and all of it can go to what's actually essential to do with that very mm. high level energy. Ah, mm. what do I mean by that? Let's imagine that you're going camping and, and you're going you're gonna to get in a canoe and you're going to go 20 miles into the wilderness. What goes in that canoe with you is essential. <laughs> mm. Right? You got your big screen TV in there? <laughs> got the big diesel generator so you can run your big screen TV? Yeah, well, maybe you do have a solar panel. How big is it? About the size of your notebook. How much can you do with it? An awful lot, right? right? You can communicate with the outside world. You can use your little cell phone. You mm. can have light after it gets dark. What else do you need? Get run it. Yeah. Run it. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so this sort yeah. of resetting of our relationship with energy is actually our maturing stage. That's, gotcha. that's where we're at. Gotcha. I, it, it all makes um, like intuitive sense for sure, and certainly one thing I um, have been like slightly nervous of with the the narrative around fossil fuels is this awareness of like yeah, but we are going to need them to do some stuff. So like you can't you can't just turn the tap off. We're going to have to become much more precise about where we're flowing that energy stream to. Um, and yet, you know, by the same token, you can understand the fury of rhetoric from climate mm -hmm. activists and climate scientists, because as you said, you know, in the 80s, you guys were working towards uh, a substitutable, you know, energy source because it was going to get cheaper. And that would have been the sort of logical thing to happen. But because of politics, because of money, because of lobbying, that's not happened. They're incredibly cheap. The renewables are so, 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 so cheap. And yet the demands for fossil fuels keep going up. Um, even despite, you know, we probably hit peak oil in 2018. I don't know if you saw um, over the weekend at the G7, there's this like clip of Macron speaking to Biden being like, um, yeah, no, Saudi says that like they can't, they can't pull any more oil out of the ground. Like they've, they're sort of hitting max capacity. And it's this tiny little exchange as they're walking like between photo shoots or something. And it's like, wake up people, you know, they can't pull any more at the ground. You're going to have to be smarter about what you're using it for. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that that peak oil that, um, you know, like you sort of know that there's finite amounts of stuff. Um, mm. But then the, the petroleum geologists start putting the numbers to it. They start doing the calcs and, and putting that out there. And you know, really the peak in the kind of oil that grew the economy that we know now, um, that mm. was what happened in 2007, 2008, when, when just the oil price blew up and yeah, yeah Saudi couldn't really pump anymore. Um, mm. 
and that oil price blowing up, of course, contracted demand and brought crazier oil. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's when we really started studying, um, not just that idea of peak oil, um, but the, the real complex issues, um, around it, like that, you know, I, I definitely remember in 2003, 2004, looking at the numbers on things like fracking and tar sands and just thinking, oh, mm -hmm. nobody would be mad enough to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or and to and yeah, so, so when we just say, oh, it's about price only, and we don't use our heads, then we can yeah. get really insane things happening. Um, and the, the most insane thing to me and why, why I want um, uh, transition engineering to take off like gangbusters is because mm. it is time for an evolution right now in the way we think about things and draw our narratives. And we have to break out of this little, you know, maybe a quarter's length, no more than an election, that's for sure. Yeah. Perspective of the world and what's important. Um, yeah. That, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's been humans on the planet who have been able to do that. I don't, I'm not, I, we, we aren't um, physically limited. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the way that we um, talk, the way, just everything from, from toddlerhood, has taught us to focus on ourselves right now and what we want, what we, yeah, because that drives yeah. the, the capitalist growth economy. That toddlerism yeah. is what drives yeah. our economy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're what you want right now because you deserve it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so is... turn up. Sort thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it very interesting that you say, uh, you know, mom rather than uh, a parent. Um, so, you know, well, well, you know, given sort of everything that the, the Supreme Court is currently overruling mm. that bloody posse of men that seem to have absolutely no sort of long term vision for a healthy future. Mm. Um, maybe it's time for the women to turn up. Uh, yes. <laughs> Of a male-dominated audience. I but... say that uh, in, in the kindest way. Mm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yes, me too. I'll throw a little uh, observations that I've made out there. Um, from what I can tell, going back in history and really trying to understand these complexities about um, uh, these narratives and how that drives mm. what we do and, and our industrial technical enterprise, that sort of thing, um, what I found is that there there was a great unlocking of of a system that worked pretty well before that, and that was where you you could form a corporation, you could um, get together and and work for shareholders and mm -hmm. uh, you know make money that sort of thing that was allowed in eighteen hundreds, but you had to have in your articles of incorporation how you were going to benefit society. And oh, really? you, that was reviewed and that was in your charter and your corporate uh, documents could be revoked and you could be dissolved if you were costing society more than you were uh, improving it. And it wow. was our friend John B. Rockefeller who got that overturned and, and thrown <laughs> out as law. So uh, <laughs> why can corporations be held to moral standards? Because uh, <laughs> <no. laughs> otherwise you unlock um, yeah, what we got. Yeah. So where did that come from? Why was that just normal that, mm. um, you know, that, that if you were going to 
work for shareholders. So, so somebody other, okay, if I have a company, I'm, I can be held personally and morally responsible for what my company does. So if it's a personal um, actions, but if, when we incorporate, then we say, oh, no, no, it's not a person anymore. It's, it's this, yeah. this entity we're all protected. So limited liability companies, right? So, so now that, that thing can go on and do what it wants to do. Um, except yeah. then, you know, with this attachment of no, 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 wait, you have to balance that. And so that, that balance that's been part of our narrative for a long time of, yeah, go get it, build it. And no, 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 wait, hang on. <laughs> the yin and right. the yang, those two yeah. sides um, have kept things in balance, but the last hundred years, man, the one side's been just the lid, lid lifted off. And if I typify those two sides, I see that, that in anthropology, you've got sort of the male side, which is what you go out and hunt and do what needs doing and defend the, yeah. And then you've got <laughs> somebody who had to figure out that, no, we can't eat the whole harvest right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we actually have to preserve some of it. And we have these amazing engineering discoveries in, in food preservation. That involves mm. symbiosis with other organisms, chemistries, um, mm. you know, hydration and, and drying, freezing, fermenting. And somebody did all that so that the tribe mm. could last through the winter. And mm. it doesn't do any good to do all that preserving if you also don't have the operation management system to not let the big guys just eat it all up in the first months of winter. You have mm. to have some sort of a system management for the long term. And I think that might be what's missing now is, right. is I know that way of thinking is out there because it must be, we've got a hundred thousand years under our belt of, of how we do things. Um, so time to bring that back. So that's why I'm well, saying this sort of maturing this sort of, wait, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah, actually yeah. can it, look at long-term it'll, it'll be all right. <laughs> it sounds like community. It sounds like the difference in, between a society where power is sort of hegemonic and um, concentrated around a couple of people that can wield it versus um, every individual sort of being held accountable to the the collective. Well, there's like, accountability you know, and then there's also the, um, oh, the responsibility. So mm. I'm pretty sure that if we went back in time a wise where, where we had that balance a little bit closer, uh, when mm -hmm. there was probably more of an agronomic, agronom, er, agronomic society, right? <laughs> Which was only a hundred years ago or so. Then yeah. what we would see is that, um, that responsibility to others and to the, the operation of the whole, um, that would yeah. have been a much more tangible thing. Um, yeah. the willingness to give and, and the wealth derived from giving would be a much more mm. tangible thing. The value in not doing things like, like leaving some of the forest because forest mm. is good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's nuts out there. We could, yeah. Um, yeah. not just destroying everything for one purpose, you know, like, like the clear yeah. where forest, uh, households, everything had to go for sheep and wool. What, yeah. one idea is it? that lets you convince humans to give up a sustainable way of looking at themselves and their community. Um, and it's called the market, right? <laughs> super entity, some super organism that decides not mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. thinking about other people, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the mark, oh, the market wants it. The invisible yeah. hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Interesting. I had a Carl Safina on the show a, a few months ago now, maybe about six. And he was saying that he thinks this whole problem of sustainability, um, he was like, it's, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, it's Plato's fault. Like that whole Ooh. concept of profanity, not having a relationship to the natural world, that the, that the natural world is profane. Um, and then that getting taken up by sort of uh, Christian theology that, you know, this isn't actually where we're meant to be. There's a heaven waiting for us. Like, we don't need to take care of this bit too much now. You just need to do enough to get into the good place. Like, you need to get into the after party. And I find that, like, all of these little kind of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, circus tricks that we do with our mind, like these little thought patterns, and then how they manifest into all of these different paradigms, including a market. I mean, even the concept of, like, a monotheistic god. And then you also have the invisible hand of the market, like this non-entity that does not exist, but people are like, oh, but it knows what it's doing. It's like, it, doesn't, it doesn't exist, man. <laughs> it's, it's a non-thing, you know. There's, it's interesting that you use the word responsibility because there seems to have just been this like complete forsaken um, refusal to engage with responsibility over the last, mm. I don't know how long, whether it's uh, through religion, whether it's through, you know, the market paradigms that we are setting up. And I really like your imagery of moving from like toddler infancy um, to adulthood and maturing and taking responsibility for our, our impact on the world. Yeah, I think that well, it's probably very the, the, the technology version of humanity where we've always been tool wielders. And I mean, my gosh, don't mm. get up on ourselves. If, if you get the chance to look at medieval mechanical engineering, those people were Clever, you know, uh, uh, go oh, yeah. look at Greek engineering, look at Roman engineering, um, look at the fact that they actually came up with ideas that we're using and we don't come up with very many ideas anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> Metallurgy and materials, you, you yeah. know, we're just using the same ideas, but but now faster with bigger microscopes. So, <laughs> so this, this um, tooled up humanity that we've got, uh, and then with the accelerant of fossil fuel poured on it, mm. um, it's not a surprise that that we would really have to work through a maturity of our narrative around that. Mm. Um, and probably if 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 we hadn't had fossil fuels, we might have survived you know the market model um, without too much trouble. Um, mm. But it's just we're we're capable of too much now. If you unleash that unthinking. Um, uh, all-consuming <laughs> uh, model of how things should work. So yeah, big big job to um, to find out what we do next to mature. Um, mm. But one really good way to maturity and responsibility is constraints, right? And so it, you know any any good um, parenting psychology will will tell you uh, military training will tell you that setting the boundaries, having constraints is essential to the formative, um, uh, what, uh, filling in the development. Gaps. Yeah, if, if mm. you don't have any boundaries, if you can just, you know, if you can Elon Musk yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> you definitely, know. Then, then who are you? But, but when you have fixed constraints, that's when our problem-solving brains kick in. So having the constraints of low energy will actually be good for us. It'll 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 let us kick in our problem solving capabilities. I completely agree, but I think it's really interesting that you mentioned Elon Musk because you know it seems to me that a huge part of the problem is that we are run 
Like the world is run by a bunch of absolute nut job oligarchs who have so much at their disposal that constraint isn't even in their vocabulary. So when these people are making decisions and wielding their resources and wielding their power to enact their impossible image of the world, what do we do? You know, I mean, you're a mechanical engineer, but still, you know, is this going to take some kind of a political, I'm going to use the word revolution, you know, <laughs> to, to be able to um, ch change the model of the world that, that, that we live in? Um, well, the, the oligarchs definitely right now are feeding off consumption. Mm. So um, when we re-engineer and redevelop our communities from the ground level, not needing, not buying from Amazon, I, I don't need a Tesla, thanks. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just think you're right. Bicycle. Man, especially especially the last few years, the 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 ballooning of certain certain oligarchs that don't even do anything useful. That wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, yeah. I'm pretty sure that this um, maturation, this transition, um, it 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 isn't really a thing that is going to happen from the top down by savior technologies mm. by by savior technologists. You know, um, we have the, we have what we know. We're not going to know anything else. So it's mm. about applying at a local level. And that will require that total rebuilding and re-knitting of social behaviors, of norms, of our narratives. Um, and that's why it's funny that transition engineering isn't about, it isn't just engineers at all. It's storytellers, lawyers, um, uh, pol politicians, any kind of, you know, everybody, it's multi. Uh, transdisciplinary is actually what we call it mm -hmm. so, sort of in the same way that fire safety it definitely there's some things that you're glad there's fire safety engineers but fire safety is so much about behavior it's about culture um in, in a specific place it's about yeah. the observance of of the risks and managing those you know it's very 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 local so mm. that sort of approach is what what transition engineering is 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 um, uh, and and the training isn't isn't onerous. Uh, it's not just for engineers. So so if we can if we can all get a narrative that's about how we're going to to look at what we've got, take account of all the assets we've got because we've already got lots of stuff, mm. and then um, start rebuilding, you know, one community at a time so that that community works without what the oligarchs want to give us <laughs> or get mm -hmm. pay for and mm -hmm. essentially mature from consumer now to citizen, then yep. that's the, okay. that's the route that keeps me going. Oh, I love that. Right. Paint, paint us a picture then. That's right. Trend, uh, a transition engineered time. Paint us a picture of, uh, 21, 22, a hundred years from now. Say, you know, we managed to shoot all of the oligarchs off into space on a one-way journey in their big sort of you know ejaculate spaceships um and we have it might take off the road away i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay great imagine we scare them off then uh they run away and let's leave the politics aside for the moment in terms of um you know what needs how we're going to combat that what is possible what is feasible what does a transitioned world look like 
All right. Um, well, in transition engineering, because everyone who, who works on this is a human, um, we have to, we have to understand we are steeped in our narratives. So step three is to crash test our technology narratives of what technologies are going to save us. Um, so that we don't have to do the maturing, uh, the problem solving, the, um, creating, we can just keep consuming. And so that is uh, something I, I really want to help people understand what, what you sort of started with, why um, solar and wind aren't going to save us, that sort of thing. Just, just if, you, if you don't get that, then get it, because you need to park those technology solutions and sort of move on to okay. ground up solutions. And so what we see 100 years from now um, is the lesson we learned by looking 100 years ago as well, which is that politics is definitely within this teeny little realm, and so is economics. Yeah. So we can, we really can actually set those aside because they're mm. totally irrelevant 100 years from now. Interesting. Yeah. Honey, nobody cares. Mm. <laughs> okay. So what matters 100 years from now? What 100% matters? Healthy soil, <laughs> wherever you are, mm -hmm. that the soil is healthy and it's been kept healthy. And that, that, that the farmers that are, that are working the soil are, you know, that is their, that's their religion is keeping that soil yeah. up, growing what needs yeah. to grow. Um, yeah. Excess biocapacity, excess to our needs anyway. Um, surplus biocapacity, that out there that in the ocean, it's teeming with life. Right. The forests, the prairies, um, you know, the yeah. deserts are teeming with life as Earth yeah. wants to. So we haven't, we haven't destroyed the, the one place in the universe that, that life can, can exist, you know? Yeah. So we figured out how to do that. And that to me is a, is a really good sign of, of getting away from this toddler, um, mentality, mm. um, where we're actually husbanding every little bit of life is important. And we're, we've got people whose jobs that is. So yeah. when we did this exercise of visiting 21, um, 20 in, in New Zealand, um, we found that when we went down to the beach, um, there was a, a, a little community there, sort of, you know, a, a house and some other buildings, and they, they would teach people how to surf and they would teach people all about um, the, the ecosystems in, in the ocean there where they are and, and, um, all the things that people needed to be done. And these were called rangers and it's right. a, a whole way of life supported by all of society is these, these rangers who are watching they 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 they've studied science. They know the science they're measuring, they're monitoring, um, they're, they're putting out bulletins for, you know, we need a hundred people to come and work on such and such. Hmm. Um, and, and they're, they're on the beach, they're um, in the estuary, they're in the forest, they're up in the Alpine region. And there's just a lot of people doing the work of the husbanding of the biocapacity, taking hmm. care mm -hmm. of it. And yeah. think of what, I could do that for a living. Yeah, You know, I could watch, uh, is it, is there anything going on with, with the bees? Is there a problem? So right now we have a few scientists watching these things and giving alarms and yeah. <laughs> so it, it, in, in the future, 
all of that science is there, but they're not just giving alarms. They're very active in correcting. And right. anything that society is doing that's causing harms, correcting. And, mm. you know, anywhere where there's too many people trampling something, correcting. And, mm. and so this huge workforce applying science to what um, everyone for all time needs um, to live on a world that, that's good. Right? Yeah. So I see that. There's cities. The cities are not infested with cars. Mm -hmm. um, cities are a place where, where things that can't be done everywhere are done. So, so we okay. have a collection, a, a collective of talents, but those cities, what's interesting is that there's an awful lot of craft city going on. And this model, if you want to see what it looks like, look at, look at China and, and Asia. Um, if you've ever been to a museum and seen the high arts of, of ceramics and, and, um, weaving and, and painting and stuff that comes out of the artist city. So mm -hmm. when you have people who their whole city is about a thing and a, a mm -hmm. craft and doing it better and learning to master it, becoming masters, where is that? <laughs> yeah. You can get to, to such amazing, um, levels of knowledge and knowledge impartment. But it takes a whole community to do that. Google can't do it. <laughs> mm, so mm -hmm, the amount mm -hmm. of of sort of restructuring of cities for um, quality—I I don't know another word for it—for quality of yeah. creation as opposed to volume of consumption. We're going to make this big burn. Mm. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and uh, we also we clearly don't have the airline flights for holidays and stuff. The holiday um, and the the downtime and what people do for recreation um, is probably more community and more local oriented. Yeah. But people can also experience um, uh, cultures that are different from them by by reading, by um, you know, by by online communications. So, mm -hmm. so we don't have a limited medieval sort of world. We have a a very open and um, and known world. But known in a way that's taking care of it, not consuming it. Right. So you see, when you change the narrative, the technology can all fall into that. Yeah. You know, yeah technology, yeah. maybe it's agnostic. It's the narrative that you're using it for that's that's driving what you end up with. Mm, you know, definitely. Oh, God, yeah, I'm loving this. This is very like... um solar punk is it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love this. I would live there. So... Let's let's get into some of the nitty gritty about like um what kind of you said that we could have a house that um is uses five percent of the energy that we currently do. What how is that with insulation? Is that with heat pumps? Is that with you know not having big screen TVs as well and like not having as many energy demands? Like, could you paint me a picture of what a life would actually look like for somebody living in this world? Right. Well, you definitely uh, are applying all of the science that we know. Right. All the okay. science and engineering. <laughs> yeah. And why don't we do that now? The market, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're right. Insulation. But maybe, maybe it's not just insulation. You know, mm -hmm. when, when we build houses out of little sticks, because we can mass produce that and throw them up fast and sprawl, 
Mm -hmm. and the way to manage the thermal balance is insulation. Um, There's other ways. Like when we were looking again in New Zealand at um, the fact that we'll that New Zealand will never really manufacture the sort of insulation materials. Um, we revisited solid wood buildings. Okay. Um, and so solid wood buildings, we're talking about using logs that are quite large. So you have to actually let trees grow for a bit. <laughs> okay. Um, but then harvesting those, those trees and putting them together actually with rather exact science. Mm-hmm. So that there's no air gaps, so that the, 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 um, well, um, solid wood science, right. You don't have to cut them up, laminate them, glue them back together. You can use the solid logs. And just from looking around the world, those kind of dwellings, if you keep the roof on, so you don't have to maintain them, keep them lived in and keep the roof on and, and not build them in a floodplain. Um, they can so far last for six to 700 years, um, what? and apparently still going. No. Yeah, Norway is full of these things. These big solid logs. Um, they're beautiful too. So we in America they're called a log cabin. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, six to seven hundred years. That you just wouldn't even think that's possible with like a biodegradable material. Well, you have to keep the water off, so that's why you have to keep yeah. the roof on. And you do have to have a design that has a good overhang of that roof over right. the wood itself because you can't be letting water continuously drip on the wood. Yeah, uh, it yeah, also yeah. has to be up off the ground so it doesn't have communication for wood-eating insects and um, fungi to get in. Gotcha. So you need a, yeah. um, a, a stone foundation. Yeah. Um, but those dwellings um, in um, Asia, they're all over China mm-hmm. and Korea. Um, those dwellings in, um, in, uh, like I said, Germany, the, the Germanic areas where they had big logs, um, and, you know, archeologists dig up evidence of, of dwellings where they're still seeing the logs. Wood will last for a long time if it is, uh, becomes acidic. So that's one reason why the, the Norwegians use a pyrolysis. They, they use a, a flame to sort of um burn the outside of the wood which makes it really acidic so mold can mm. get in um and then it it doesn't degrade though <laughs> that is mad when you think about the amount of forest that is being chopped down to fulfill ikea needs like these little things that only last for a year or two when like the capacity of it is six to seven hundred years oh my god right okay <clears throat> but just quickly um i mean in places that are so developed like you know we're both doing this uh in the united kingdom is that is that feasible or would it for a place like the united kingdom and a lot of europe would be would it would a better idea to be to retrofit what we already have because that's certainly kind of yeah well you have to you have to start with what you've got right yeah good point right okay All right. Okay. So let's, let's continue with, right. So we've got a big log cabin, one of the new ones that's been built, say. Um, well, I was just <clears> pointing <throat> out that, that um, a high thermal performance doesn't have to be just insulation. There's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so definitely yeah. think about whatever you've got. And the, um, uh, the double walled insulation field, it, uh, again, if, you're, if you build a really thin envelope building out of, out of sticks, out of two by fours, then, then you need um, a lot of insulation. Um, if mm. you build a double-walled, um, you know, like the French do and the Germans, um, yeah. the, the filled blocks, then it then 
the amount of insulation in between doesn't have to be quite as big. It's just, yeah. it's used the building science and um, <laughs> it is known how to do it in general. Yeah. But it, moisture management is absolutely 100% required or you're going to be doing it again in 20 mm. years. So, so mm. do it right. Um, and then, yeah, insulation, um, but it, it really has to be kind of a makeover. I know there's, the you know, government just wants a solution. So they want you to dump some loft insulation in your attic. Mm. Um, well, just, just doing one piece of a whole system, uh, again, it can actually cause new problems, um, uh, especially yeah. on moisture. So yeah. just, there's, there is a re, um, redevelopment phase that, that we need to mm. go into that I'm going to add another complexity to it though. Yeah. Yeah. Please. <laughs> Um, we've got buildings and transport are, are the big, the big changes. That's where the huge transitions are in the, in the, um, the turndown. Okay. So the house that's being redeveloped, right. That, that it's okay. getting this nice all over makeover so that it can last for centuries at very low energy requirement has to absolutely be in the right place. Mm hmm. So, so we have to be looking in, in multiple directions about where we put the resources and what, um, what we build there. Okay. So in cities, it's got to be much more urban as opposed to just retrofitting sprawl. I think that would probably be a waste of resources. Sorry, what does retrofitting sprawl mean? Well, we've built, uh, there's been um, a really big push out away from the cities in suburbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of those are the really bad thermal performing buildings. Yeah. Okay. So to retrofit an old 1970s house that is 100% car bound. It has to have a, it, it has, you know, you drive on the motorway, yeah. you get, you park in the garage. Yeah. Um, no, this is the time for the rethink about where, where people need to live and what they're doing in that place where they live. So yeah. I, there's probably a lot of dwellings that shouldn't be retrofit. They should just be, um, uh, zeroed out. Yeah. Unfortunately yeah, yeah. now because of the market, they're worth 2 million pounds. <laughs> yeah. Right. Even though they, they don't perform, they, they need massive maintenance. Yeah. We have a huge reset to do here. Um, mm. but I do feel confident because we've been working on how that would work, that it is possible. Um, we just, um, you, you've got to give yourself the problem to work on. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and again, think locally. I, I, I'm always really careful to, to not espouse, you know, one solution fits all. Cause that's, not yes. how, that's not how things work. Sure. So in this, um, future world, um, where the oligarchs are in space, which is, I think is my favorite tagline. That's your far. comfort <laughs> <room>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It just says alt. Um, so we have these local communities with, um, Bet much better performing um, homes, this locality as well. I mean, I assume what that means is that people have everything they need. So there's a school, there is a library, there is a place for leisure, there is a place for gathering, there is a community garden or community vegetable patch. Or um, the whole idea, I assume, would be that you don't have to travel for an hour in a car to get the thing that you think you need. Right. Yeah, that's the number one thing. And that giant, um, giant semi trucks don't have to get to you either. 
Ah, okay. So reworking the system so that the hinterland around populations not involved in agriculture are directly connected to agriculture um, and to ports. I mean, there's still uh, trade. There's still a lot of trade, um, but it centers around ports and, and rail hubs because those can be okay. fed by renewable energy, right? We, we, we definitely can sail. That's not, that's not going to be Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. So you can have so, trade and, uh -huh. um, yeah. So the, it's the connections between things and that's yeah. where with the modern, um, data and modeling that, that we can do, we can start to understand how it is that people in the 1700s made that work because there were mm -hmm. cities of 2 million people. Um, we would rather have some of our modern sanitation in them. <laughs> that is just what I was thinking. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> we, we don't unlearn anything, clearly. <laughs> um, but the if you just think about the logistics of feeding and uh, hopefully removing the waste, um, those those problems become much more interesting if you're not manufacturing three countries away, putting it yeah. into packaging, putting that onto yeah. trucks, putting the trucks onto ship, putting the, sh the yeah. ship back onto truck, then, yeah. then the amount of, of packaging and, and um, inherent energy just really um, settles down quite a bit. I think it's so important to constantly hammer home the point that like human beings in this stage, in this stage of our development, are not um, like the modernity of the world that we've created, the interconnectedness of the world that we've created is not uh, a symbol of our incredible intellectual fortitude or capacity. It's fossil fuel. Like everything we do is so inefficient. We just got, we just found this magic, you know, thing essentially that makes magic happen. Right. It's like everything that we run, the way that we run it is just so, there's so much cognitive dissonance. I think the thing that changed it all for me, and I say this like every week on the show, but the fact that we use 10 times as much energy to produce food as we do from eating it, like, come on, guys, that's just daft. Um, but on that, in this, in the transition and then in the modern world, what would be the things that require the highest energy demands? All right, so we're we're um, we're now going to the essential level, right? Mm. All right, uh, metals. <laughs> mm. um, metals are extremely useful, and you gotta have metal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in in your canoe that you're going away for twenty days into the wilderness, you got some metal in there. King <laughs> <laughs> metal, ceramic. You know, it yeah. takes a lot of energy to make a ceramic utensil. Um, mm -hmm. but it'll last forever basically until you drop it or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm definitely seeing materials as being a key, um, factor and food and water and yeah. dwellings. So everything that you do is done for a long, a long term. And I have mm -hmm. had interesting discussions with some, uh, electrical and computer engineers about. You know, I, I'm really kind of sick of having to get a new device all the time, a laptop, yeah. but, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated to not do that. 
and I've kept yeah. everyone I've ever I've ever had because I mm-hmm. I have my own little attic museum of electronics <laughs> consumption, <laughs> um, and they all still work. That's what's weird. So why have I yeah. had to keep getting a new one? Mm-hmm. Um, and their their clear answer is Microsoft. That the the actual utility of of having a computer. Um, could be satisfied by the first Apple, that 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 first one that had a wee little 174 kilobyte hard drive and a flopping bag. That that basically the things that we we really do need to do um, could be done by that. And there's no reason that that the circuit board and and things couldn't last for a lifetime. There's right. They really you could get your computer uh, at your bar mitzvah. That is your computer for life, and it could be, wow. you know, essentially, and and a phone, you know, this one device. Yeah, that's your allotment of electronics in your lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason that we haven't been able to do that is the growth model of the of economics <laughs> and yeah. Microsoft, because of the way the the coding has been um, requiring more and more and more processing. Um, right. Yeah. So so that. Uh, Wait, what is, hang on, wait, 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 I'm not computer scientist. What, what, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> okay. Well, the reason you have to get rid of your phone, it just doesn't work anymore, is what? The software uh, update anymore. Software update, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your phone works fine. <laughs> yeah. Place the battery every five years. It'll be fine. Yeah. You could use it forever, except for the software. So the right. software that drove the, um, the, the first Apple, so they were the funny little boxy ones with the little little um, black and white screen. Mm. Um, I wrote my entire master's thesis on one of those. It fit on one floppy disk that was 174 kilobytes, and it had uh, it was 170 pages. It had lots of figures and images. Um, <laughs> yeah, amazing. I know because it and the 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 the. Um, uh, word processing was no more complex than it is now. I mean, there was a big jump between DOS and Microsoft uh, operating system, but um, what happens then is you start with some code that does all these things, and then you want to add a feature. So to add a feature, it isn't just adding a line of code, it's adding a whole bunch of code. So now in order right. to run that one executable um, command that um, you know, like uh, put brackets around something. I don't know, some command mm. that you do. Um, you have to call a whole bunch of code to get that same thing done, which requires that the chips on your um, little computer have to fire 10,000 times instead of 1,000 times. So right. as you keep exponentially growing the code with yeah. every update of software, your mm. processor now has to be able to run an entire city you know, the, the processors mm. we've got in our computers now are insanely powerful. And what do we do with them? Well, okay, we have conversations. That's nice. But seriously, <laughs> we're doing the same thing we were doing in the 80s. We're, we're doing a bit yeah. of word processing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what? It, it is so true because even people that have to do, um, like, insane, like, I was speaking with um, a mathematician recently about uh, machine learning. And they were explaining, you know, he was explaining kind of the, the, the stuff that they'd been doing or, or like that they were planning to do with their code and da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, cool. Did you run it on, you know, your computer? And he was like, no, we have, we have to send it to a really, a really big computer to do it. And it's like, right. So even 
with the stuff that you need lots of processing power for, you still need supercomputers. Like the fact we have many supercomputers at home, but they still can't do the stuff that supercomputers can actually do. But as you say, we're still using our supercomputers for the stuff that we're using basic computers for. Like it's just madness. I mean, is that was that a deliberate form of making um machines obsolete because of the growth model? Or was that just kind of a a terrible accident of school? <clears throat> Well, I think they figured it out pretty quick that that was a good deal. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's a nice way to couch it. Right. Um, but on the other, on the other hand, it, essentially you had an unconstrained system. Mm. Um, so an unconstrained system is like an all-you-can-eat buffet. You're not going to get fine cuisine in there. <laughs> and it's probably not going to be healthy for you to live there. Mm. Right. So, so that unconstrained abundance, um, there's a reason that, that, uh, Kings got gout because they just had too much of the good stuff. Yeah. 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 Just, Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it's just unconstrained. And then it, um, I, I, I don't actually know of any, um, software engineers working on elegant prog programming. Uh, we've got a project looking at the energy use in data centers, you know, that thing you were talking about, where we have yeah. to send away our code to get run by a supercomputer. Um, these things are growing in energy use way faster than renewables are growing in energy production. Right. And why? What What problems are they actually working on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just because you can. So, so our little group is working on what would a constrained access to computing look like? What would a constrained resource look like? That is fascinating. What's essential okay. about what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if you if you still have time, I would like to kind of keep going on this. I, I'm I'm so enjoying this conversation. Is that do you still have time? Or do you, oh, do you need to wrap up? I didn't get my coffee yet this morning, so. Right. Okay. Well, you, well, gosh, you're doing exceptionally well without coffee. <laughs> okay. Then I think, right. In the, we'll, we'll aim to wrap up quickly, but in the interest of understanding this world and, you know, this thing about computing, the first thing then that comes to mind is also entertainment. Mm. Uh, because mm. I, we've been talking a lot about consumption. We've been talking a lot about health. Um, I think sort of the general consensus in the world, um, is that we consume so much because it's a pretty miserable, well, amazing quality of life in many a sense, modern technology, modern medicine, da 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 da. But um, being on the rat race is such a sort of miserable thing um, that that is one way that we kind of soothe existence or fill the void is with things. So, what would our entertainment look like in this transitioned world? Because I'm assuming if we're limiting our computational access, we're not going to be streaming Netflix every night. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it was funny when you said entertainment. Somebody, uh, a software engineer I know, um, gave me the statistics on what it is that the computing power of the world is being used for. And you can probably guess what the number one, con number one consumption is, the number one use. <laughs> entertainment social media i don't know streaming <laughs> sorry a certain kind porn no really
Really? Yeah. That's the number one category of how much. It always has been. He says every time you make a, a you you make progress on how how cameras work, how images processed, how you can send it out. He says it's just it's just the bandwidth is just gobbled up by porn. But, oh my god! You know. So exploitation yeah. of women maturing from the wank phase of teenagerness. Mm. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's sad world. So you can't hear yeah. that once you've heard it. Um, yeah. So yeah, if there was a constraint on the amount of video streaming entertainment that that anyone could have now, um, to be fair, Netflix uh, puts a lot more work into um, the e efficient streaming. <laughs> okay. That maybe maybe those sites do, um, mm. but um, it wouldn't hurt us to spend less time binging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we all know it. That, that they're just really no we're not getting out of this what we what we used to get or what we what mm -hmm. yeah entertainment yeah. great storytelling is amazing um filmmaking is a thing but yeah, whatever this hard. is that we're doing now you know even television the stories that we all shared about you know what happened on friends last night um but but that's not what binging is that's not that's not where we've gotten to yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and especially, especially you know, degrading others for our own imme very immediate pleasures, you know, or it's not even if it's pleasures, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got a, a lot to work on. That probably constraint is 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 definitely a way to go. Mm. Um, and that that whole world where where constraint is a thing, where you know you have you have a budget. And you mm. get to decide what to do about it. What it does, of course, is opens up the world for holy things. Mm. Um, I was just talking to to somebody. Um, we we're looking at a World War One era exhibit in a museum in in New Zealand, and the um, that picture, the, the the view you can get into life a hundred years ago. What were people doing? And remembering that people used to go to dances. And they yeah. walked to those dances, right? yeah. the, the, the dance in the hall, the, the, on, on the Saturday night was a thing that, that everybody within walking distance did. And yeah, yeah. lots of shenanigans got up to, but, but that's just a totally different experience of the world and your life, yeah. your, your time on this planet than yeah. sitting in your chair, binging something on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. just coming out of COVID, so I've just done some binging, and I'm <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I can't take anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 it fogs you up. I think, I mean, I'm a, I'm aware and conscious of like I have an unwillingness to sort of romanticize the past because of like the social progression that's been done in the past fifty years, especially, you know, in the light of again the supreme court ruling it's like oh you cannot take that stuff for granted uh, that is you have to claw yourself forward into the future all the time um but i find it really amazing to kind of take examples of like okay well this is how energy was actually really helpful or this is how um bits of community were really really helpful if you kind of remove the pretend to remove the the racism and the sexism and the terrible inequalities on that just like we have flashes of what is possible in how we organize ourselves and if we can kind of put them together into a, a jigsaw puzzle 
and reveal a future for like a transitioned world. I think the public need that. I think people are desperate to know what the future could look like and how it would be better for them. Because right now with the, the rhetoric around the climate crisis, it is alarmist and it needs to be alarmist. We are going over a cliff. Um, but for the public, they need something to, to hold on to. And I think it's just fascinating, your work and the, the research of your group as well, look, looking at that from an engineering perspective. There's just something about that po post-enlightenment, you know, rational uh, mindset that I think is really, really helpful for, for people because it's not just about um, everything that you're saying is about values, but you're framing it through engineering, which I think is a way that people can get on board uh, that might be reticent to otherwise. Right. Well, engineering just in the strictest sense means using science mm. um, as opposed to mythology or, or uh, you know, social coercions or something. You, you use science mm. Mm. Um, and you apply um, accepted mathematical models mm. to predict how something will work so that you can design it to work. Yeah. Um, and, and just a very pragmatic view, you know, we, um, is it working or not? So, uh, I know I, I, I do this time travel thing quite a bit because one of the ways that we understand how systems work is to look at the, the past behavior. Yeah. And so we're talking about complex human systems that have a lot of people doing their thing and somehow all fitting together in a way that works. Mm -hmm. um, and we look at different, different cultures and different times to try and understand the fundamental workings of these complex systems. Now, there's mm -hmm. always a social, a religious, uh, you know, there's always these narratives wrapped around it. Um, and so to me, what that says is that those aren't the particular way things work. It's, it's actually more the the system dynamics, the, you know, mm. um, that, um, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, ah, being able to break your focus from, again, what's really right now. So important, um, the, the, the policy and the, um, and the economics. Yeah. Um, just to try and understand the way things work and what, what I think I've seen by looking at enough times and places is that when things, when the way things work starts to break down is when the policy and stuff starts to get, and the society starts to get nuts. So there's a huge imperative right now for people who understand uh, built environment, transport, supply chains, you know, uh, power grids, the, the, the people who do actually make those work for us yeah. to sort out how to make them work at a climate safe level so that yeah. our society that we live in doesn't go mad. Yeah. Which it is. I know. <laughs> Time <Yeah. laughs> Well, the climate, you know, the climate emergency, the, the biodiversity emergency, um, people just really feel un that, that pressure as they should. Mm -hmm. um, time, yeah, I guess the, the whole transition engineering thing um, is, is based on, again, the study of history, that when the industrial technical enterprise has overshot its, its, mm -hmm. um, its 
very effective, making lots of money. The corporation is happy, but we have Three Mile Island. We have um, the Cuyahoga River on fire. We have yeah. the ozone layer being depleted. When we've, when we've gone too far, when the, the unintended consequences are too high, what we see is that engineering actually does correct that. You don't, you don't hear much about it, but that's how the correction happened. And mm -hmm. policy can, can, can put that into play. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the engineers of the world have done this before. They have corrected mm -hmm. the course, yeah. um, but only by doing it. So these huge distractions right now of hydrogen and, and you know, these carbon capture and storage, these things that are oh, now nonsense. couched in the net zero, they're really distracting the people who need to be focusing on the, the turndown and the transit yeah. into climate safe um, levels of everything. So that's, that's the message I work to get out is, is yeah. um, just pay attention, wake up, time to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> time to grow up. Wow. Susan, thank you so much for your time. This was sure. so interesting and so much fun, uh, which is just a wonderful way to start, start a day. Thank you. Sure. Nice to talk um, to you. Yeah. Really nice to speak with you. My final question is who would you like to platform? And platform means hear from or have in. Yeah, so I probably ask uh, my upfront. Or is it a new kind of uh, torture for her? <laughs> <laughs> so essentially somebody that I can get on the show, um, that ideally you can introduce me to, I can kind of continue this conversation with. And frankly, I would, I, I would love to have more women on the show because and I'm going to edit this bit out, but I can tell you like the difference in speaking with women mm -hmm. is... I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a whole other thing. And I don't get enough of them on the show. So do you have someone in mind that is a female? <laughs> or you did tell me you were going to ask that, didn't you? And um, <laughs> sad confession, it wasn't, it wasn't women that came to top of mind. Shit. <laughs> Who did come to the top of your mind? <laughs> um, some of the other transition engineers. Um, yeah. There's a, there's an interesting person who is the president of Harriet Watt University at the moment. Okay. Who, um, if you think of that position and how conservative a, a person in that position would want to be, you know, you're just trying to keep this thing afloat. You're trying to navigate mm -hmm. this, this weird, weird world. Um, he hired me for one thing and read my book right. and just said, wait a minute, Harriet Watt University has been at the forefront of the previous industrial revolution, you know, um, figuring out, um, not just the engineering, not just the, the, the technology of steam and oil drilling and, mm. um, oil refining and cars and, and these sorts of things, but also, uh, figuring out finance, how to finance, mm. um, these massive, uh, projects and growth and stuff like that. So, so the Harriet. Uh, was a, a financier banker and Watt was James Watt, the um, right. steam engine inventor. Mm. So, so he read my book and, and he, he ha, you know, put forward the idea, well, shouldn't Harriet Watt be at the forefront of the transition mm. to a safe future? That the correction of that industrial growth, you know, shouldn't we be at the forefront of the fourth industrial revolution? Um, and so sort of his decision to, to go forward with transition engineering and figure out, okay, how do you, how do you provide the, the training and education and research base for that idea to take off and, and get out there? 
um, that makes him an important um, thinker or, or person yeah. in time. Facilitator. That, yeah, that maybe we don't mm. think about. Um, <laughs> I would love to speak to him. Yeah, so his name is Richard Williams, the president okay. of Harriet Watt. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Right, great. Can't wait to have on the show. Susan, thank you again. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. All right, thank you. If you want to learn more about Susan's work and transition engineering, I've put links to her book over on planetcritical.com where you can subscribe to support the podcast. If you liked the episode, leave a review and share it far and wide. If you loved it, support the project with a paid subscription at planetcritical.com. And as ever, a huge thank you to the Planet Critical community who make all of this work possible. Thank you all for listening. See you next week.